All right, why don't I uh, give us a word of prayer for the morning? Uh, Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for the grace that you extend to us each and every day. Uh, you are good, and as we know, Lord, you are always good. And so thank you for this passage of Scripture as we look at uh, the mighty men of, that you have chosen for the future, Lord God, mighty men that you're going to use to save Israel, bring your church together, and Lord, bring us into the kingdom. We look forward to that, and uh, we pray that uh, you would be praised through it in your name. Amen. Well, last time we were together, I was speaking to you about these shepherds over and over and over again, speaking about good shepherds, bad shepherds, all kinds of shepherds. But one thing that I forgot, and and I really gave very little attention to, and I I really do want to do that here just for a little bit, is to give a description of sheep, of which I want you to know, I would consider myself one of them. I've been here at Grace Church for 38 years. I am a sheep, just like you are. I'm drinking from the same fountain that you are, Pastor John. Friends, sheep spend most of their times eating and drinking, and it's not just of the, through the coronavirus. It's not just because of the coronavirus that we're eating and drinking a lot. Sheep continually graze. They munch. They ruminate on their food. It's interesting how I get questions, and Pastor, what do you think about this? Because it's somebody who's been studying something. And, and Pastor, what about this particular issue in, in the government, uh, and how do we line that up with Scripture? I get that all the time. So I know that that's what you're doing. You're grazing, you're munching, you're ruminating on what you're eating. They find themselves often hungry, thirsty even, especially when they are not being cared for. They want to go after something, so they're going to go somewhere. They're going to start to read something. And matter of fact, I got a, a text. Pastor, what about this particular writer? What do you think of him? And, and I gave a description of the particular man. And I said, well, you have to make your uh, uh, opinion of that. You have to look at that in light of Scripture. You need to line him up against Scripture and see where he lands. Sheep must have water. That water ought to be clean. That water ought to be pure, and there ought to be plenty of it, something to drink from. This is what they thrive on. And and that's why I believe at Grace Church, we have so many avenues to receive that water, to be fed, whether it be through the Lagos classes, now called Grace Equip, uh, all of those different venues for you to get healthy, for you to grow. It's like uh, recently, uh, somebody was giving me a testimony about their 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 a father who had passed away. And they were telling me that he had gone to a particular class and, and the feeding at that class was so much that he began to become more sanctified, became more holy. He began to live for the Lord even more in his life. And he was already a Christian man. It's just that he just reached that point where he began to grow. Sheep must have water. It needs to be clean water. In these days, it must be accessible. It must be free. It must be free of any pollution, of any kind, any contamination. I so love when Grace to You made John's messages available for free. It just opened up gas of people being able to listen to it. Sheep by nature, though, and please don't take offense at this, but if you live there, take offense. Sheep by nature are lazy. They're lazy. Uh, The water they need has to be close by. 
it's a little bit difficult for sometimes for them to, to get to the library or to get to the bookstore to do this. Or, I mean, nowadays, all you have to do is go online and Amazon will send it to you and you'll have it in three days. They don't want to travel long distances. We're talking about sheep here to find good, clean water. Sometimes it often appears they will choose dehydration over refreshment. Most other animals uh, are able to sniff water and, and they sniff it on the winds and they begin to track it down and they'll go great distances. You know, you've seen the films of all those animals in Africa where they keep traveling and traveling to find that water. Some of those animals in Africa will travel for miles and miles, great distances to find the food and to find that water for that refreshment. That's called instinct. That's called survival. Sheep, however, are not gifted this way. It's interesting how the Lord uses sheep as as a description of us. Sheep are not gifted this way. Once it has devoured the entire hillside, they don't realize there's another side to that hill, and they don't go to the other side. They're unable to find a new pasture land, maybe go over a couple of hills, whatever it is. The sheep on its own is unable to discover food and drink just what's on the other side of the hill. It's just scary. Sheep do not always eat well. They tend to munch on poor nutrition. They do not check the packaging, so to speak, um, before eating. Even occasions where the sheep will ingest poison. I was uh, in Israel. I was there with uh, Randy, who was at Ibex. And, and he's taking us on a tour, and, and we're there, and he's talking about this particular valley, and, and he's giving us all a description of what's going on, and all of a sudden, a sheep start walking by, and a shepherd walks by. And, and the, the shepherd picks up rocks and pebbles and starts throwing them. And, and I'm, I'm a curious kind of guy. Well, what in the world is he doing that for? He's doing that to keep the dumb animals away from the poisonous plants, and to keep them moving on. You see, they'll eat those poisonous plants, and they'll get deathly sick. They'll go into a wrong theology, and they'll get deathly sick. The shepherd has the responsibility to provide pasturing or feeding for the sheep. He should be satisfying their recurring need for food and water that bring about growth and health. That's what he should be doing. Without the shepherd, the sheep would surely die being eaten by ravenous animals. Friends, there is one glaring fact. Sheep are better prepared for life if the shepherd is watching over them. That's necessary. That's why when someone says to me, Pastor, I'm moving to Texas or I'm moving here, Let's look at some churches that you can go to to find a good shepherd there so he can watch over your soul so that he can help point you in the right direction so you get connected with a group of people that you can be in fellowship with. It's so important. But this is contrary to hucksters of the world who offer great things and offer great rewards but deliver very little of anything, if anything. I want to encourage you that our pastor for 51 years has been feeding and providing for God's sheep right here at Grace Community Church. He has an untiring desire to see the flock of God grow, 
Not numerically. That's not what he's after. But he wants to nurture them. He wants them to be ready for kingdom purposes, whatever those purposes may be for your life. He wants you to be ready for those. And so as we move to the second half of chapter 10 in Zechariah, we begin to see a pattern. The pattern is being laid down by the the kind of words that the prophet is giving us. He now is going to go into a pattern of predictive statements here. There are actually 21 predictive statements. I'm not going to go through each one and delineate them for you. But let me highlight some of the more dramatic ones. I want you to see this. Yahweh is a very personal, personal God. And it says in 10.6, it says, I will strengthen, I will save, I will bring them back, and they will be as though I had not rejected them. That's what God's going to do for his people because he loves his people. He cares for them, but at the same time, he can't let them do whatever they want to do. He's got to keep bringing them back. He has to keep bringing them to obedience and following the word of the Lord, to follow Yahweh. Restoration and renewal of this flock of God becomes the the tone and the blessing of the rest of this chapter. When you obey, you are blessed. When you disobey, you are judged. It brings some kind of a judgment against you, retribution of some kind. God cares for the sheep. He wants them to graze upon the pure word for refreshment. There is plenty of garbage out there, folks, and there's plenty of easy ways to get to hear it. The internet is full of it. And I I hear people sometimes listening to some other preacher that's out there, and I'm going, that's not a good guy. That's not even a good theology. And I don't mind telling a person, don't read that person, don't listen to that person. That's not good for you. It's not good for your spiritual health. Maybe if you're a theology student, maybe if your uh, doctrine is solid and you've got a foundation, you can listen to that kind of stuff and make um, good discernment there. But I don't think so otherwise. Now, let me finish up on the rest of the chapter, which I wanted to do the last time that we met. But I'm going to read the rest of the chapter, and uh, you'll see that it's quite lengthy here. But let's, let's go through it anyway. This is Zechariah chapter 10, verse 6. I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph, and I will bring them back, because I have had compassion on them, and they will be as though I had not rejected them. For I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Ephraim will be like a mighty man, and their heart will be glad as if from wine. Indeed, their children will see it and be glad. Their heart will rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them to gather them together. For I have redeemed them, and they will be as numerous as they were before. When I scatter them among the peoples, they will remember me in four countries, and they will, with their children will live and come back. I will bring them back from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria, and I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon until no room can be found for them. That's actually very encouraging, folks. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Verse 11, And they will pass through the sea of distress, and he will strike the waves in the sea. So far so that all the depths of the Nile will dry up, and the pride of Assyria will be brought down, and the scepter of Egypt will depart, 
and I will strengthen them in the Lord, and in his name they will walk, declares the Lord. Previously, Zechariah had described how God would use the shepherds to win the battle. That's what they're going to be used for. And ultimately, that's what the shepherd is there for, is to win the battle. Win the battle over the temptation that's in the world, over the, win the battle over the bad theology that's in the world. But ultimately, and this is what we need to keep in mind, ultimately, the battle is always won by the chief shepherd. He's the one who empowers anyone else to be able to speak the truth. Now, Zechariah is going to describe in detail the actual work of the Almighty Shepherd in restoring and reinstating his people. Verse 6, I will strengthen the house of Judah. It's God who's going to do it. If you're going to restore the nation of Israel, you must start with the leadership. So God is going to restore the leaders of that nation. He's going to restore those people that are in the place of leadership so that there's somebody to follow. God made a promise, clearly without any equivocation. Back in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, he said this, The scepter shall not depart from whom? From Judah. Judah is going to be the nation or the the tribe that he is going to let lead um, the uh, Hebrews. That's his chosen nation or chosen tribe, put it that way. Friends, this means the leadership of God's people will come from the line of Hebrews, the line of Hebrews that you'll find the Messiah in, the line of Hebrews that you'll find David in. That's who's going to choose, he's going to choose to lead his people. This is the messianic line. That obviously needed to be strengthened after return from captivity. Here they are in captivity, and there's no king. Uh, Jewish king, that is, in Babylon. And they come back, and he has to strengthen that particular line of Christ. Zechariah says, here, the house of Judah. As well as, and, and listen to this, I will save the house of Joseph? What he's trying to do is bring Israel together. He's trying to show you, you've got the southern tribes, and you've got the northern tribes. Ephraim is, is the name that could be used here as well, because Ephraim was the son of Joseph. So why would he do that? Why would Zechariah do that? Or may I say the inspired word of God do that? Zechariah is telling these post-exilic Jews that this is for all of Israel. Remember, Israel, the northern tribes were taken by the Assyrians, and they they sort of disappear, we think, from uh, the whole of history, but they don't. The nation is to be united. It's to be welcoming the Messiah. That nation will, and and in chapter 12, it will begin to happen where the nation comes together. Because that is the end, folks. And God's going to do that for his people. And I, I'm, I'm, I wish it would happen tomorrow. If I may say it even here, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Judah represents the southern kingdom, and Joseph the northern kingdom. As a matter of fact, Zechariah, in the next verse, you see for him, as I said before, he, he's broadening the understanding. He wants them to really embrace this whole idea. Zechariah is telling the people they all must step up. You know what, folks? If I can, and I, I don't always want to bring this to the church, but you know what? In the church, it needs to be that way. All of us need to step up. It's not just for the the 
elders. It's not just for the deacons. It's not just for the ushers, but all of us. You know, during this whole COVID-19 thing, I'm I'm watching people step up and helping and delivering food and and packing uh, different things. It's, It's just absolutely marvelous to watch the church come together. Zechariah is telling the people they all must step up. It is not just one tribe. It is not just one class of people. All of them must be promoting the kingdom work. All of us need to do that together. Verse 6, I will strengthen the house of Judah. This is a prophetic promise because it certainly wasn't strong here. It's a prophetic promise to strengthen the tribe into military leaders as well as leaders for the community. It's not just one area, but it's in these both of these areas. They are going to be endowed by God with an extra portion of might and strength. It's going to be an inner strength. You, you think about it, little David, a, a shepherd, goes up against Goliath. You know, if you were there and, and you were watching this particular event and you saw these two men, one on one hill and Neil one on the other hill, and you go, wait a minute, this guy's here, he's got six fingers on each hand and, and he's nine foot tall and you got this little boy over here. Oh, there's no battle here. <laughs> no, God strengthened David, actually gave him the wits to be able to overcome Goliath. That's the same thing today, folks. Back to verse 6. And I will save the house of Joseph. Zechariah explodes here, folks. He explodes with hope. You can hear it in his words there. I will save. That's our God making a declaration of what he's going to do. And and when our God says something, he's going to do it. I I always say if God says it once in the Bible, it's important. If he says it more than once, it's very important. So this is important. This points to the northern kingdom of Israel that had been trounced. I mean, they were absolutely trounced by the Assyrians in 722 BC. Virtually, they're never heard from again, virtually, but they, they do have a word here and there. They too will be included. They too will be saved and brought into the kingdom. Friends, has that happened yet? Not yet. No. By the way, we see the return of the land in the next phrase. It says there in 10.6. We don't want to want to keep moving here. And 10.6, it says, and I will bring them back. This passage is not speaking of the current post-exilic return. Why? Because they did not receive all the land promises. And, and that's something to keep in mind. Even today, the Jewish nation that was started to be formulated in 1948, May 14th, 1948, as I remember, have not received all of the land promises yet. It's not really the true covenant yet. It hasn't materialized yet. All of that is going to happen, and it's going to happen when this prophecy is fulfilled. This whole section of Zechariah speaks of the renewal of the covenant. It still has not happened because it is a promise of the future. I love the idea that it's coming and coming soon. I love Jewish people. They have had such an influence on my life. Being from New York and working in a Jewish textile company, we, we, I had great friends there. This is something to be experienced in the future, and I get to know that I will have some of my Jewish friends there with me. Some folks would say that the land promises have been fulfilled. 
Mm-mm, not really. Israel is in Palestine, but all of the land there is not really theirs. Lebanon and West Bank and other places. The Abrahamic Covenant promised a whole lot more than what they really have today. And even what they do have is compromised to some degree. They've got to watch themselves on every border they have being attacked one way or another. So Yahweh strengthens them. He saves them. He brings them back. The question is why? The question is why? And it says there in verse 6, because I have compassion on them, for I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Well, obviously, if he's going to be answering them, they must be crying out for him. (laughs) They're not doing it today. Still something in the future. But this is so incredibly personal on the part of God. The text says, I will bring them back. I will bring them back because I had compassion on them for I am the Lord their God and I will answer them. This compassion is an attribute of God. It's a a divine entitlement. Because of the goodness and loving kindness of the Lord, it's not based on the merit or the goodness of the people in any way or, or anything that a man does or whatever he has. He stays, he saves, he restores. And he does it, why? For I am the Lord, their God. Because he is God and he sets the parameters of the future events. He is assuring the absolute fulfillment by assigning his name to the promise. He will not only restore them to the land, but he will restore them to their covenant relationship. That's just absolutely magnificent. We see in verse 7, Ephraim will be like a mighty man and and their heart will be glad as if from wine. Indeed, their children will see it and be glad. Their heart will rejoice in the Lord. Here we have the tribe of Ephraim, the son of Joseph, is portrayed as a warrior, as a mighty man. When this happens, their heart will be glad. Whose heart is glad? Those who are walking with the Lord, that's whose heart is glad. They are glad because the Messiah Redeemer has won the victory for them. Not because of drinking wine, folks. We don't want to confuse that. That's just a a euphemism to show you that, you know, folks that do drink wine seem apparently to be happy for a time being. Twice the prophet mentions the joy of the victory of Ephraim. And their heart will be glad. Indeed, their children will see it and be glad. Their heart will rejoice in the Lord. It's obviously overwhelming contentment in the Lord. Seeing all that he is doing, there's happiness that's brought into the community. Happiness that's even passed on to children. You know, children, if they see their parents are happy, guess what? They're going to start being happy, glad, joyful. It's coming victory is over the haters of God. That's what happens there. This victory is over the haters of God. God has plenty of haters, and we've seen them through this whole COVID-19 thing. (coughs) God's people will be astounded. Their victory will be overwhelming. Verse 8, I will whistle for them to gather them together, for I have redeemed them, and they will be as numerous as they were before. It could be translated this way, I will signal them. You see, the whistle is used often as a signal to get someone's attention. You've seen that where somebody will whistle and people turn around and look at the person. 
God has their attention. So listen. Now remember, these are the sheep of the Lord, and many shepherds had their own signal. You put a whole bunch of shepherds together, some of them had a whistle. Some had a word. They would just say a particular word, and the sheep would hear them, and they would follow them. Some of them would sing a song, and the, and the sheep would follow them. As I said before, some would have a little pebble and throw it, and the sheep would see that or hear that and know. But they would know that their shepherd was taking care of them. That's the idea. Friends, when I, I think of a, a whistle in these terms, uh, I think of uh, whistling to a dog and calling a dog to you. To you, years ago, um, my wife and I and our kids and a couple of other pastors and their children were in this large crowd of different folks. We did have large crowds back then together. weren't afraid of each other. <laughs> and uh, one of the dads uh, didn't see his wife. Looked around, couldn't see her. He whistled, and before you know it, there she was, and all the kids. And I looked at my favorite wife, and I said. And she said, don't even think that thought. I knew what she meant. I knew that she would react that way. That's why I did it. Don't tell her, though. We, we need to remember that this is a signal. And John 10, 27 said this. What did Jesus say? My sheep will hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. It's the same kind of thing. We are his sheep. We hear his voice. He knows us, and we will follow him. That's what we ought to be doing and seeing it in those kinds of terms. Yahweh gathers them together because he has redeemed them. Verse 8, I have redeemed them, and they will be as numerous as they were before. Speaking of the number of Jewish people, they will be as numerous as they were before. This is full and complete redemption. Not just a calling out from captivity. It's not just taking them out of Babylon, taking them out of Chaldea and bringing them into Jerusalem or into Israel. But it's a redemption, complete and final, because of Yahweh. He saves, completely saves. Redemption speaks of a payment of a price, a ransom price. That is paid in full. Listen to Deuteronomy 15.15. You don't need to turn there, but Deuteronomy 15.15 says this. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That's what they need to remember. Folks, you need to remember this, Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead. Dead people cannot come alive. Doesn't matter what TV does. But dead people don't come alive. But it says in the next verse, but God, but God by his grace and his mercy saved you. It's the same kind of thing here. God is in the business of redeeming people. And why he chooses some over others, I have no idea, no clue. I just want to point out some parallelism here between chapter 10 and chapter 8. I don't have a lot of time to go into it, but I do want to point out some of it to you, just so you understand. There is a parallelism between chapter 10 and chapter 8, and it should be an encouragement as well. In both sections, God affirms his ownership of his people. I am owned by him, and I don't have a problem with that. I don't mind being called a slave. Matter of fact, I love the idea of being called a slave. 
In chapter 10, verse 8, it says, I, for I have redeemed them. In chapter 8, verse 2, it says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Zion. Yes, with great wrath, I am jealous for her. He is jealous for us. He wants us. He wants them. For he will repopulate them. We see that in 10.8. And it says, and they will be as numerous as before. We see that in um, chapter 8, verse 5. And the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in its streets. The idea of, in a society where you see boys and girls playing in the streets, and it talks about old men in, the, in, in part of this as, as well, if you have old men and you have children playing in the streets, you have both ages, the ones in the middle are there as well. It, it says that it's a prosperous nation, it's a prosperous land. And then the last uh, parallel is in verse 9 of chapter 10 of Zechariah. They will, be, they will remember me in far countries and they will come back. And chapter 8, verse 7, it says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am going to save my people from the land of the east and the land of the west. He's going to save them from all over. It's just telling you that he is a God who can save, and it doesn't matter where you are, especially for these Jewish people who were scattered over the earth for so many times, and so often that happened. Friends, the purpose of the prophets is about the promises and blessings that you get through obedience. It is looking forward to the righteous reign of the Messiah, and that's what he's trying to point them to is the righteous reign of the Messiah. This will include the redemption of Israel, all those called out of the Gentile world, all those who bow the knee in submission. It's a great gathering of people. This has not happened yet. This is the future. And happy are those who know their God. Charles Feinberg, um, one of Pastor John's teachers, I think he was a Hebrew teacher for Pastor John, if I'm not mistaken, maybe an Old Testament. Charles Feinberg was a Jewish rabbi who came to faith in Christ. And, and he has this to say about redemption and the redemption of Israel. Truly, we are living in momentous days as we view Israel and the preview of things God has predicted for her. The nation does live again, governmentally and politically and nationally. They are returning by every mode of conveyance and in astonishingly great numbers. But there is more to come. This is not the fulfillment of the prophecies of the prophets of the Old Testament in their highest sense. They predicted spiritual life and conversion to God for the nation. God will never rest till this is accomplished. We need ever to be admonished that political prestige and recognition for Israel do not connote the blessings of God he intends for her. She must rest by faith in Messiah Jesus the Lord if she is to know the full purpose of God. Yes, they're, they're bringing in Jewish people from all over the place. I, I've, been in, I've been in Israel and I meet uh, uh, Russian Jews uh, matter of fact, we have one of our missionaries there teaching some of the Russian Jews that he learned Russian when he was in Ukraine. And you got all kinds. I, I remember seeing this movie about taking these Ethiopian Jews and they were bringing them back by the plane load back to, to Israel and, and putting them back in the nation of Israel. Yeah, they're taking them from all over. Verse 8, and they will be as numerous as they were before. Well, they haven't gotten there yet, folks. 
These numbers that are spoken of here are the great numbers of all the redeemed. I can make a heart glad. When I'm reading through this and studying through this, it makes my heart glad knowing God's going to bring all of these people together to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They know his voice, and they're attracted to him. These sheep are are being called by the Lord. Just to digress here a little bit into uh, the Gospel of John, John 10, 14 says this, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and my own know me. (laughs) Do we? I, I like to put that in there, folks, because I know somebody's listening to this or listening to preaching. There are some who do come to church who don't know him. There are some who come to church for years sometimes, and they don't know him. You, you like the fellowship because there's some nice people around, and, and you like the habit of coming to church. Some of you miss coming to church. But do you know him? That's what's important. John 10, 16 says this, I have other sheep. That's us. Oh, and I know our Jewish friends that are here, and we have quite a few in Anchored. That's wonderful. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. We will be brothers and sisters in Christ completely equal. Completely equal, just like, Galatians 3.28 says, there's neither male nor female, there's neither Greek nor Jew. We're all equal. What a glorious day that's going to be. None of us look down on someone else. None of us have to look up at others. And the question I always ask is, are you in that flock? Are you going to be one of those sheep? Are you going to be able to understand his voice when he calls? Let's move on, verse 9, because I'm running out of time, as always. Verse 9, when I scatter them among the peoples, they will remember me in far countries, and they with their children will live and come back. When I scatter them among the peoples, the Hebrew word there for scatter is really not so much that you're getting rid of them and tossing the way. It's more like sowing. It's like, it's like a, 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 a gardener who's sowing seed. It's sowing. And I believe that it's the dispersion of the northern tribes by Assyria scattered the Jewish people. They were still alive, and Jewish people cling to their heritage. And you can see people that have never been to a a temple, and they still cling to that heritage of being Jewish. They're they're like a scattering by God of, of the sowing that's going to happen, of the seed of the gospel even. I... I believe that's what happened in A.D. 70. A.D. 70, when Rome comes into Jerusalem, it wasn't just the Jews that were going to be affected by that conquering of of Rome. It was also going to be the Christians that were in that city. I mean, they wiped out everybody. I mean, they killed everybody. If they didn't kill them, they enslaved them. But the Christians, for some reason, left the area. This is what I've been told, and obviously this is outside of Scripture. But they knew it was coming, and they left. Roman army invaded. They were dispersed, folks. They got out of Jerusalem and started to bring the gospel around the world. That was the beginning of Christianity. Well, not the beginning of it, but it certainly went on. I I have this one little story. I I was down in 
India with my dear friend Chris Williams. And uh, he takes us around the whole country teaching, preaching everywhere, all over the place. We got down to Chennai or Madras. It's known by both names. That's down in the south um, east corner of India, right on the coast. Um, some beautiful, beautiful beaches down there. But they have this mountain that's not too far away, and you can see it. And he called it St. Thomas Mountain. I said, Chris, what in the world is it called St. Thomas Mount for? He says, because St. Thomas was here. Whoa, help me. <laughs> St. Thomas, I've never heard that. He said, yeah, there is, and he says it's not biblical necessarily, but there are a lot of stories that Thomas, when he was scattered out of Jerusalem, came all through India preaching the gospel, and he came down here all the way down to Chennai. People were getting saved along the way as he was preaching the gospel. And he got there to St. Thomas Mount, and he was martyred down there. That's where he was put to death. And so I, I went up the mountain, got to see it. It was incredible um, that they would even have that kind of thing there for him. Verse 10, let's move on. I will bring them back from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria, and I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon until no room can be found for them. Do you understand what it's saying there? Is there going to be any room left? It's going to be overflowing with people. All of the believers will be brought in there. Lands that post-exilic Jews would know. God has a purpose, even in a judgment that scatters people all over the earth. God has a purpose in a pandemic, folks. And I just want you to understand that, just for us to understand. In this pandemic, he has a purpose in it. Um, and it is for our good and his glory. And that purpose could be for a lot of things, to be able to speak to a family more specifically about the gospel, maybe to speak to a neighbor more specifically about the gospel, or a co-worker or something else. I, I love this verse, Hosea chapter 2, verse 23. Jot that down and look at it later. I will sow her for myself in the land. I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. And I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. Thank you, Lord. And they will say, you are my God. That's speaking about Gentiles. We were added in because of the rejection of Christ by the Jews in A.D. 33 or whatever it was that Christ, the, the date that he specifically went to the cross. Because they rejected him, we get in, invited in. Back to verse 9 here. They will remember me in far countries, and they and their children will live and come back. Beloved, this gives us a beautiful picture of the covenant promise they're going to come back. Remembering is more than just some intellectual ability. Verse 9 says, remember me. It's a picture. It's a picture of fidelity. Fidelity toward God. When you remember him in the tough times of life, like now, call upon him. You're calling upon your father, your heavenly father. Remembering here is the same word used in the text, talking about God remembering the covenant with, covenant with his chosen people. This is pure, unadulterated, covenantal love. Going to be remembered by God. You know the one thing that I love about my God? It says in Isaiah 43, 25, 
and I will not remember your sins anymore. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you don't remember my sins. I do. I do. But you're not going to remember them because they're covered by the blood of Christ. Thank you. Zechariah goes on, he says this, and I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon. Israel is too crowded, folks. So it goes beyond the borders. No, it's still the covenant land. It goes beyond the borders to include Gilead and, and Lebanon and Bashan even uh, up in the uh, northeast uh, of the area. Israel is too crowded with believers. Too many have already been brought in one way or another. So now the borders need to be widened. It's going to be the future, folks. I wish it was during our time, but I don't think we'll be here. I think we'll already be translated. By the way, Gilead was a land that was originally given to the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Um, Gilead is just over the Jordan. It's what would be called the Golan Heights. It's an absolutely beautiful area. If you go up there today, you'll see all kinds of fruit and trees and and, uh, vegetables and all kinds of things. During the 1967 war, that was the land of Syria up there, and they used to have their their gun um, placements there to be able to shoot down on Tiberias and the cities that were just across the uh, Galilean Sea and some on the other side of the Galilean Sea there. Guess what? A Jewish uh, uh, agent came into the Syrian government and suggested, okay, suggested they put trees up there because these men are sitting out there all day long in the heat. So when the Six-Day War started the Jewish government knew exactly where to shoot because the trees were telling them that's where the gun emplacements are. Uh, poor guy, he got um, killed in, uh, in uh, Syria because of that. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Um, chapter 10, verse 10. End of the verse. Until no room, room can be found for them. I mentioned it before, hyperbolic speech. It's just incredible how many are there. Let me read verse 11. And they will pass through the sea of distress and they will strike the waves of the sea. Complete and utter emancipation. No obstacle is too great for God. Passing through the Red Sea, there's no problem. God will protect his chosen and bring them to complete salvation. That's what he's going to do. Folks, let's look at verse 12, because I am running out of time. Verse 12, And I will strengthen them in the Lord, and in his name they will walk, declares the Lord. Repopulating of Israel is easy for God. Saving people is easy for God. And then it says here, I will strengthen them in the Lord, and in his name they will walk. Let me put this on you. Is he strengthening you? Are you eating and and nourishing yourself in the right place? Are you reading the wrong thing or the right thing? Are you reading or listening to the wrong thing or the right thing? Well, what are you doing? What are you putting in that you're going to be able to get out? Because I'm not a computer person, but I understand that what you put in is what you're going to get out. And so I'm glad we have an, uh, a department here, an IT department, that can help me because I don't know what I'm putting in sometimes. They need to help me get it out. But what are you putting into your soul? These are the things that we need to 
question ourselves about. What am I doing in living for the Lord today? Am I spending my time the right way? Am I spending it on the right kind of people? Deuteronomy 33, 29 says this, Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, who is the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. Are we that sword? And so take a personal look at yourself. See who you are in the Lord. We talked about sheep. What are you feeding on? What are you taking care of? How is your soul growing in Christ? And verse 12, And I, Yahweh, will strengthen them in the Lord, and in his name they will walk, declares the Lord. I hope as a shepherd, one of them here at Grace Community Church, we help you, whatever you need. We've said this over and over and over again. Call us, write us, email, text, whatever it is. We want to, as much as possible, encourage you in the faith because God is still about doing his business and he's still bringing his children. And there'll be so many that they can't even fit, as it says here. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time. I pray that by your grace, we all continue to grow. We all see that you are the fountain of nourishment, of truth, justice, of love, compassion, of good water, good food. Continue to feed our souls in Christ Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen.